you have your copy of scripture, we are in the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Book of Jonah, chapter 3. Looking at verses 1 through 10 of Jonah, chapter 3. We will be in Jonah 3. We'll have three sermons from Jonah chapter 3. We will not have four sermons from Jonah chapter 4. We will have three sermons from Jonah chapter 4. But uh, Jonah chapter 3 this morning, uh, just a reminder that we are, I uh, didn't bring the book up with me, but a uh, reminder that we are using uh, a book by Sinclair Ferguson. Um, called Man Overboard, and it's kind of a, a written through the book of Jonah, and we're using that as a kind of a launching pad uh, for these messages. Jonah chapter 3, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning of Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, excuse me, And he called out against the city, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man or beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I'm going to once again try to turn on my mic and see if it works. This morning I want to talk to you about God's grace, and not just God's grace, but uh, in particular God's persistent grace. It's interesting as we read Jonah chapter 3 that there um, really is no follow-up to the close of Jonah chapter 2. As far as how Jonah reacted when the, the fish spit him out onto dry ground. You know, in the movies, uh, we see people when they are finally safe on ground, maybe they were um, uh, had a disaster at sea or something in the air or whatever, but, 
But in the movies, when they are finally safe on dry ground, we, we all usually see them portrayed as kissing the ground. They're so thankful uh, that they're back on dry ground. It makes me wonder and think about how Jonah responded when he went from 36 hours in the belly of a fish to being back on dry ground. 36 hours must have seemed like forever for Jonah. I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine being 36 hours alone uh, for anything, let alone in the belly of the fish. No doubt Jonah vividly remembered all the details. No doubt he remembered how God first had called him and how he ran and he remembered the storm and he remembered the sailors and no doubt he would vividly recall witnessing the power of Almighty God on full display. Certainly Jonah, through this experience, was a wiser man, but also a better man. Jonah, the prophet who had fled just hours earlier, before this time, now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Have you ever uh, seen that movie Groundhog Day? Anybody ever see that movie? A few of you have seen it. My wife gets mad because I like that movie and she doesn't. I don't know why, but I think the movie's hilarious. I love, I love watching the movie Groundhog Day. In the movie, Bill Murray is, is a weatherman and he's out to uh, cover the emergence of the groundhog. Um, Puxatani Phil, and uh, or as he calls it, the weather forecasting rat. Um, it is the fourth year that he's doing this job, and and he's sick of of doing it. He doesn't like doing it. And he gives his report, and when he's done, a blizzard hits uh, hits them, and um, he had predicted the blizzard would miss them. All the roads get shut down, and the Long distance service is cut off and they turn around and they go back to town. And when he wakes up the next day, he realizes he's stuck in the same day over and over and over and over again. And it's Groundhog Day every single day. He relives the same day over and over. And uh, I wonder if that felt similar uh, to Jonah. Jonah had a similar feeling when it says, and the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. Sure, Jonah has a unique experience. However, the principles found in Jonah's experience are not unique. And in fact, they are often applicable to the lives of those who are followers of Jesus Christ today. In fact, if we were to go around this room this morning, uh, there would be probably many Christians who would say that they are thankful that the word of the Lord came to them a second time, or a third time, or even a fourth time. And it is because of the persistent grace of God that, that they are or we are where we're at today because God's grace is persistent. When God first called Jonah, he was met with reluctance. He was met with stubbornness and selfishness. And, and, and Jonah was going to go his own way. And most of us are just like Jonah. I mean, we may not want to admit it, but when we look at our lives, we are just like Jonah. 
However, it's because of the persistent grace of God that we are serving him today. It is because like with Jonah, God is determined that his servants will serve him. No matter the cost to him or to us. God doesn't deal with us in some sort of half-hearted way. Not some sort of fickle way. But God's fully committed to us. And we can see just how thoroughly committed to us he is when we take into account the message and of the lengths that he will go to in order to make us fruitful and faithful children of God. I didn't say so that we probably would be faithful and fruitful, but he will make us fruitful and faithful children. God does not just give up on us. He does not say, well, that person is so strong-willed There's nothing I can do about it. You ever meet a strong-willed person? Or have a strong-willed child? You ever just sometimes want to give up? Hopefully you don't. God doesn't do that. Your will to sin... is never stronger than God's will to conform you to the image of His Son. Ever. God doesn't just give up. He has a design and He carries it out. Praise God for His persistent grace. Now Jonah did not know what would happen if he went to Nineveh, although he seemed to be fairly certain what would happen. But we do know what happened because we have the benefit of reading it. We know that Jonah is being sent by God to be the human instrument used by God to bring about national repentance and a revival which brings salvation to the people of Nineveh. If you have if you have not read ahead, I apologize as I just kind of spoiled the ending for you. But however, it is at this point that we see another pattern of God dealing with Jonah emerge. God has saved Jonah in order to produce the salvation of many Ninevite sinners. God brought restoration to the life of Jonah. God pursued Jonah with his persistent grace, and it was by the means of his persistent grace by which revival would happen in Nineveh. And so this morning, I want to take just a few minutes and focus in on this persistent grace of God. And so first, let's see this, that the grace of God equips us to do his will. The grace of God equips us to do his will. There are, there are times that, that we worry about being able to carry out the will of God. I know there's times in my life where I've struggled with this. But you know, the more I think about it, the more illogical it becomes. The more I think about, well, how do I know if I'm going to do God's will or not? The more illogical it becomes. My thought process kind of goes like this. Is God who he says he is? Yes. Does God always keep his promises? Yes. Is God truly sovereign over all things? Yes. Then is there anything that controls God or is more powerful than God? No. Therefore, if God has commanded me to do something, will he also equip me by his grace to accomplish exactly what I'm supposed to accomplish? Yes. 
So that's kind of how my thought process works. I kind of think through the situation and I, I think through it in light of Scripture and what Scripture tells us. And the grace of God equips us to do His will. Furthermore, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that the breathed out Word of God performs the function of equipping the Christian through teaching, correcting, reproofing, and training for a service. And this is not accomplished by our strength, but this is accomplished by the strength of the very Word of God. Even when we are reluctant to be obedient to the Word of God, it is still accomplished by the strength of the Word of God. In other words, the Word of God has the power to take our disobedience and change us into submissive servants of God. Just by the power of the Word of God. That's what happened in the life of Jonah. Jonah was disobedient to the Word of God. Disobedient to what God had commanded him to do. And yet despite his disobedience, despite his running away from God, he was still being helped by the word of God. Now suppose for a moment that the moment that Jonah heard from God that he was to go to Nineveh, just suppose he said, okay, Lord, I will go and went. What would have happened? Well, who knows? Because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was instead to show Jonah his grace in order to equip him to minister to the Ninevites. That was God's plan. Jonah wasn't ready to evangelize the Ninevites. Jonah had no clue who the Ninevites really were. He had no sympathy for them whatsoever. Jonah did not even know the first thing about showing compassion to pagans. Jonah was in no shape to be compassionate like Christ who looked over the city and wept. In fact, it seems as if Jonah would rather die than be like Christ who cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, Jonah instead would cry out, they're getting their just reward, God. You see, in order for Jonah to go to the Ninevites and speak to them, and carry out what God wanted him to do, he had to be broken. God had to mold him and fill him with his love for the lost before Jonah could be any use to God whatsoever for evangelism. However, if Jonah didn't flee, if Jonah didn't disobey God, he would have never been equipped by God's grace. And, and you and I and people in general, we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around that. That somehow God's plan was to use the results of Jonah's disobedience in order for him to be equipped to accomplish what God would have him accomplish in the first place. That, that somehow God had already taken into account Jonah's disobedience. In fact, he expected Jonah to be disobedient and flee. And yet God was going 
to use the consequences of the disobedience for his glory. And yet it does not excuse Jonah's disobedience. In fact, God does not act as if Jonah's disobedience is no big deal. God doesn't just say, well, you know what? I knew you were going to do that. And so it's no big deal. But instead, he employs consequences to bring about exactly what he wants to bring about in the life of Jonah. In other words, God uses the disobedience of Jonah to accomplish his will. God doesn't have to use Jonah. Could God have used someone else? Yep. When Jonah said, no, Lord, I'm going to flee. Could God said, okay, killed him and then use someone else? Yep. It's exactly what he could have done. He didn't have to use him. But he chooses to. God didn't have to use you either. He didn't have to use me. But he chooses to. God never does or says anything that would give us license to treat sin lightly, though. However, when his children return to him in repentance, when we humble ourselves before him and receive the chastisement that he gives us, we would do well to remember that God is able to bring glory to himself and cause his name to be praised among the nations, even in the midst of our failure and our sin. There is nothing that can stop our God. Not fleeing, not disobedience, not a prophet, not even our sin can stop God. If God needs us to do his will, he will use us to do his will. Not even the devil himself can stop God. In fact, God can use the devil to bring glory to his name and to prepare his children for their temporary and eternal destinies. God will always accomplish his will. Always. Don't you believe for one instance that God is not sovereign over all things? And if there is anything that can keep God from accomplishing his will, then he's not sovereign. If there's anything on the face of this earth or in this universe that could stop God from doing what he wants to do, then God is not sovereign. Then he's not who he claims to be. Then Christianity is a farce. And we believe in a false God. But God is sovereign and he will always accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. You say, well, what about my sin? Or what about the sin that I see running loose in the world today? And the answer to that is very simply this. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Romans chapter 5 verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Church, we often fail to truly understand that grace of God. It is the abundance of 
of the grace of God that takes our experiences, even our rebellion against God, and makes it moldable in His hands to equip us to accomplish His will. A now broken and contrite-hearted prophet Jonah was precisely the man that God would use to reach Nineveh. Do not underestimate the grace of God. As we, as we think of the grace of God, we must also take warning. We must never use the grace of God as an excuse for sinful disobedience. I once heard a pastor try to excuse his affair by using the grace of God. He tried to say, well, God's grace covers my sin. It was clear that he was presuming on God's grace. It was clear to me that he was going against Romans chapter 6. And I remember when I heard him say that, when I heard him counting on the grace of God, I remember I wrote him a note and I wrote out Romans chapter 6 and how we can't presume on the grace of God. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or Jude chapter 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. We may have turned from God's will like Jonah. We may have gone our own way. And maybe God has dealt with us severely to the point that we feel like there is no hope. But if we are God's children, this principle and promise is inescapable. That even in the midst of God dealing with us in an area of our life, even when we go our own way and try to run away and flee from God, we have the promise of Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Stop and think about that verse just for a moment. It does not say that God works some things. It says that God works all things, meaning everything. It either means everything or it means nothing. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Here's the thing. That would include sin. The somehow God uses sin to work for our good. We worship a great God who gives great grace to equip us to do His will. He works in our lives so that we will be ready for when the word of the Lord comes a second time. Not only do we see the grace of God equipping us to do his will. But secondly, we see the grace of God draws sinners to salvation. The grace of God draws sinners to salvation. 
So we've seen that principle behind Jonah's restoration is God's sovereign grace. However, the principle behind anyone coming to salvation is also God's sovereign grace. God brings life out of death. The principle behind all of our evangelistic efforts is that God draws sinners to salvation. That God indeed makes those that are dead alive. I want us to focus in for a moment on this principle because I believe that if we can grasp, if we can truly grasp it, perhaps it would change how we do evangelism. When we look at the Gospels, we see that the Pharisees make a demand of Jesus. The demand is for him to give them a sign to convince them. And Jesus replies to that demand by saying this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew chapter 17, and Luke chapter 11. And Jesus goes on to explain that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights, so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth. Now we can sit and ponder what Jesus is saying all we want, but very simply what it means is this. From his death, men will receive life. In other words, Jesus must die in order for men to live. Out of death, God brings Life In the Gospel of John, the Gentiles ask to see Jesus and they, they want to speak with him. And Jesus tells them in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's the exact same principle. Out of death, God brings life. If we're to have fruitful evangelism we understand that out of death god produces life when we come to come to share spiritually on occasions physically in christ's death his power is demonstrated in our weakness in other words we're drawn to him this is why jesus says you want to follow me what does he say he says you want to follow me you have to come and die that's what he says his power is demonstrated through our death this is what is happening in the life of Jonah. Christ had not come yet, but there was a sense in which through faith in the promised appearance of Christ, Jonah was sharing in Christ's death. And it was working in his life, forgiving him and cleansing him and empowering him for the service that God had for him. The Apostle Paul recognized this. He expanded on it at length to the Corinthian church when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The same principle is expressed throughout many scriptures, giving, giving to us the, the, the scriptures that, that, that make it clear that out of death comes life. Like a mother 
and labor pains. The Apostle Paul was willing to suffer in order that Christ may be fully formed in his converts. Galatians 4.19 Those who go out weeping with their precious seeds will return with rejoicing. Psalm 126.6 The man who is emptied of themselves with, will be filled with Christ. Oh, to understand that it's by the grace of God that grace draws the sinners to salvation and brings to life those who are dead. Oh, that we would understand that those who are alive in Christ were previously dead. And to understand the command of Christ that if you want to follow me, you must first die. We have to die to our desires and die to our wants and die to the American dream and die to all the things that are not of Christ and live for Christ. Oh, that we would sing the words of the hymn by Arthur Booth. Clibborn. There is not gain but by a loss. There is no gain but by a loss. We cannot save but by the cross. The corn of wheat to multiply must fall into the ground and die. Wherever you ripe fields behold, waving to God their sheaves of gold, be sure some corn of wheat has died, some soul has there been crucified, someone has wrestled wept and prayed and fought hell's legions undismayed. Don't miss the point. The grace of God draws sinners to salvation and brings life out of death. In the sovereign purposes of God, there was a revival in Nineveh. The instrument of that revival was a disobedient prophet named Jonah. He wasn't perfect. In fact, he was disobedient. And yet he still had elements of sin remaining clearly visible in his life. Sin which clung to him. Sin which was glaringly obvious. But something happened to Jonah. There was something in Jonah that the grace of God had slain in his life. You see, God's grace had put something to death in Jonah. And from that inner death, life was born in Nineveh. God's grace equipped Jonah by killing the very thing that kept him from going. And God's grace drew the Ninevites to himself, showing them that their ultimate destruction apart from the grace of of God would come upon them and it brought life to them who were previously dead. I simply ask you this, church. Should we not, as followers of Christ, be prepared to die so that others will live? The biggest hindrance to evangelism in our lives and in the life of the church stems from our refusal to die so that others will live. It is because of our refusal to die that we indeed live alone. No, 
that we would die. Not a physical death. But that God would help us die to who we are. That we would bear much fruit and prove that we are indeed Christ's disciples. Not just that we would die individually. But that God would help us die corporately as a church. Oh, that God would help us to bear fruit worthy of being called followers of him. Because only through our death will we see the sign of Jonah in the church of Christ. Only through our death will we as a church understand that our death indeed brings life. Do we understand that? As I bring this message to a close, I simply ask you this morning, do you know God's persistent grace? Do you know it? First, understand that God's grace hunts you down and maybe this morning you are here as a follower of Christ, but like Jonah, you've gone your own way and the word of the Lord has repeatedly come to you repeatedly God has called you he's called you out will you be obedient to him maybe he's been working in his grace in your life this morning maybe he's been equipping you to do his will or perhaps this morning you're here and you realize that you are more like the Ninevites you're spiritually dead can I tell you this morning that God's grace draws sinners to himself and that this morning though you are dead you can be alive he takes those who are dead and he gives them life maybe this morning you need to trust in Christ as your savior and finally perhaps this morning you remember a time when you gave your life to Christ but now as you reflect you realize that you've held on to so much you've not come to that point in understanding that God is calling you to die so that others will live. Perhaps you are just like Jonah, unwilling to take the gospel to others. Unwilling to tell other people about the gospel because you are so caught up in yourself. And I would say, come and die. So you can bear much fruit. Come and die. Just like Jonah had to do. So that you will bear much fruit. So that out of your death, life will come. I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. We're going to sing a song. And I invite you that if you feel like you need to respond to this message, I'll be standing down front. I'd love to pray with you. You can come and pray at the altar. You can pray in your pew. But if you feel like the Lord's urging you to respond, I want you to know I'll be down front ready to receive you this morning. Let's close in prayer.